Welcome, First Friends Church family. We are so glad to have you tuning in because here at First Friends Church, we live to glorify God together by loving Him, making disciples, and proclaiming the gospel. One of the best ways to strengthen our faith is by diving into the Word of God together during our Sunday gatherings. So if you don't have a church family, we would love to have you join us. All there is to know as you plan your visit can be found at firstfriends.org. Now let's go to our lead pastor, Nathaniel, with this week's message. I do enjoy the Olympics, and I specifically like the sprints, probably because they're something, that's something I've never been able to do. Uh, I, like, I like the 100, 200, uh, 400, even the 800. I like the sprint relays. They're fascinating to watch. And I'm sure most of you know that a runner is disqualified if she or he starts too early. If they start running before the gun goes off, it's considered a false start, and the, the runner guilty of this infraction will then uh, has to leave the track and can't compete in that race. That's a harsh punishment. Like there's no redo. Happens once you're done. It's caused a lot of pain and frustration for Olympic competitors, um, people who have invested their whole lives preparing for that race only to have that one mistake cause it to all come crashing down. But just because a false start is disastrous, it doesn't mean that runners don't prepare to run, that they're not ready when the gun goes off. So when the starter says, on your mark, get set, no runner stands behind the blocks and saying, I, I wanna be really careful not to false start. So I'm gonna wait until after the gun goes off and then I'm gonna go up and get in my stance and take off. Obviously that's silly, if they were to do that, they would lose. The runner must be prepared and ready for that moment when the race actually does begin. Now, last week, I, we, we looked at what I called the great transition, the transition from the presence of God with his disciples in the physical body of Jesus to the presence of God with his disciples by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was going to empower the disciples to be witnesses to and of Jesus and his resurrection, but Jesus told them not to begin that work right away, didn't he? He said in those first verses in the book of Acts, to remain in Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. But as we're going to see today, the disciples didn't understand Jesus' command to wait as do nothing. They understood that that command to wait also meant prepare. The second part of the first chapter of Acts is the stage of preparation. It's the spiritual equivalent of on your mark, get set as the disciples prepare for the starter's pistol of the Holy Spirit. And today we're gonna to examine four elements of their preparation, how they went about preparing themselves and their community to be ready for when the Holy Spirit were to come. If you don't have a hard copy Bible with you this morning and you'd like to borrow one, the ushers are coming back down the aisles with some copies. And if you just catch their attention, they'll be glad to give you one. If you're not familiar with the Bible as a book and you want to follow along, if you go to the table of contents, you can find the book of Acts. It's in the New Testament, closer to the end of the book. Um, the book of Acts is a sequel. It gives us the, the stories and the accounts of the first years of the life of this new thing called the church. And it begins right after Jesus 
He has died, been buried, and he, he's resurrected. And then after his resurrection, he was still on earth and present to and with his disciples physically and bodily for about 40 days. And then he ascends back into heaven. And that's where the book of Acts begins. And that's the, the time period that we're in right now is that, that sort of gray area, the limbo, where Jesus isn't there in his body anymore, but the Holy Spirit has not yet come. So the text that I'll read this morning, Acts 1, beginning with verse 12, takes place immediately after Jesus has ascended into heaven. And you remember last week we, we saw him, the, the disciples standing there staring back into heaven waiting for Jesus to reappear, and the angels have to come and tell him, hey, he's not coming back right now. He'll come back one more time, but that's a long time in the future. So we'll pick up Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots. The lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. The first element of preparation in which the disciples engage is prayer. As we consider our own lives and our own calling to be witnesses of Jesus, this really shouldn't surprise us. Prayer is essential to life with Jesus, and we all affirm that it is, and yet our actions often speak differently. My actions often speak differently. How many workshops are there? How many books have been written about the necessity of good communication within marriage? And how often bad communication is, um, that's like the point of the spear or the wedge that comes into a marriage and ultimately welcomes in a host of other dysfunctions 
that causes so much grief and tension. Um, can you imagine a marriage in which neither the wife nor the husband ever actually speaks or communicates with the other in any way? Of course not. And yet, as, a, as, as the church, as believers in Jesus, we, and I'm including myself in this, we so often neglect the, the discipline and the gift of prayer, um, communicating with the Lord. Um, prayer isn't primarily our way of changing God. It's God's way, often, of changing us as we come to Him and we lay our concerns and our gratitude and our needs and our hopes and our dreams before Him. Things that He already knows, and yet He has asked us to speak them out to Him. The text says that during this waiting period, the disciples joined together, and the word that's used is constantly. Constantly in prayer, not occasional, but consistent. And this attitude toward prayer acknowledges the sovereignty and supremacy of God. It's a way that the church has of saying to the Lord, we can do nothing without you, and we acknowledge that. In Brazil, we went through a period of time where we were facing a particular legal issue, and I thought I understood the issue. I thought I knew what the best course of action was. It seemed obvious to me. But I also recognized that I was limited in my vision. I didn't understand everything. No one understands everything about Brazilian law. Let me just say that. Nobody. And, um, and I was inexperienced in these matters. So I consulted a friend of mine, a lawyer. And that really did make all the difference. And he charted a path for me that I would not have chosen myself. And, and he also just actually illuminated the issue itself. It wasn't nearly as serious as I thought it was. That made all the difference. When it comes to the mission and vision of the church, we have to all acknowledge our limited ability to accomplish anything. We have to understand that if we desire, if we, if we really want to see God work in and through us, if we want to see His vision fulfilled um, in us, for us to glorify Him by loving Him and making disciples and proclaiming His gospel, we must be committed to prayer. This is one of the reasons that we invited um, Dr. Dave Williams to present the pastor's class that will begin this Wednesday for us to explore and learn to hear God through prayer. It's a foundational piece of spiritual preparation and spiritual life. Now, the second element of spiritual preparation for the disciples was a, I guess you could call it a focus on the Christian community. Everything that happens in these verses, did you notice, happens as they are gathered together. And it's not just the 11 remaining disciples. It's all the believers, women and men. The text says approximately 120 of them. All of this community is praying, and they're praying, here's the key, together. So briefly, what happens within the context of this community? First of all, the community affirms leadership and gifting. So Peter stands up and rises. He starts taking this lead role. But his leadership is ratified by the community. Jesus had intimated 
that Peter would fill a leadership role after he, after he, Jesus, after he resurrected and after he ascended. And now, as Peter takes that responsibility, there's an unspoken implication that the community recognizes, affirms, and ratifies his gifting and calling to lead. Um, I remember a, a friend of mine from quite a while back was absolutely convinced that he had a particular calling and a particular gifting, and he was so excited about it, and he would tell other people, he was always looking for an opportunity, always looking for a way to use this gifting. But here was a problem. No one else, no one else recognized that gifting in him. He didn't have it. It wasn't his strength. And we need the Christian community not only to tell us, right, you don't have that gift, but also to recognize the gift or the calling or the leadership and to call it up, call us up, welcome us up and invite us into using it and living into it. A person's gift makes space for itself, that's true, and then that gift is affirmed by the Christian community. Secondly here, the community interprets Scripture together. Peter speaks, he quotes Scripture to make his points to show the disciples what they should do next. And he interprets and applies that Scripture in the context of the community. And the community affirms, albeit silently, Peter's understanding and application of Scripture. Um, No one speaks against it. There's an understanding, yes, this this is right. And that's an aspect of Christian community that's still vital today. We need each other. We need the body to help keep us grounded and to help us interpret Scripture correctly. When we lived in Texas, there was a, 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 an exceedingly very, very conservative church um, that was in the area that was pretty well known. And um, I heard that the pastor was quoted as saying, and yes, it was somewhat tongue-in-cheek, so I'm acknowledging that, but it still reflected a certain attitude. I'm so conservative that when I hear that someone else believes something that I believe, I stop believing it. But there's, there's great danger there, isn't there, when we're off on our own. I, I'm, I'm interpreting this alone. I, am, I don't need others to balance me, to speak into me, to, um, to help guide me, that we're, we're guided together. When we go off on our own, without the accountability of the body, even as we understand Scripture, we can often fall into error. Thirdly, the community discerns God's will together. Peter proposes a way forward for the disciples in this intermediary time. He tells them what he believes they should do next. And again, we see the community uphold and confirm the will of God for their next step. This is another gift of the body to its members. Because how often are we asking the question, God, what do you want me to do? Lord, where should we go? How should we move and I don't know about you, but when I'm facing those things, I often reach out to trusted friends or colleagues, say, will you pray with me about this? Or even, what do you think? People who know me well, does this make sense? This is what I think I'm hearing from the Lord. Is, does that strike a chord with you as well? Or am I way off? It's foolish to ignore the input and wisdom of the body of Christ. I read a, a, a humoristic book once. It was, it's called, uh, actually, I read it many times. It was so funny called um, The Sacred Diary of Adrian Plass, aged 37 and three quarters. And um, it's just a, a, a make-believe diary of a Christian man, and it just kind of, it's, it's, it po- pokes fun at some of our Christian 
foibles. But um, in that book, I remember one of his friends got up in, in the church and made this great proclamation. He said, I, am, I know that I have been called to the Middle East as a missionary, and I'm getting ready to go. And the church said, well, well, how do you know this? Where are you going? And he's like, it's amazing. Every time I open the, the word of God, there's something about the Jews or Israel. And so I know I'm called. I'm called. I mean, it, it's got to be. Um, and so even though this is, a, this is a fiction, a work of fiction, obviously, but then the church actually intervenes and says, wait, that's not exactly the right way to go. You're not interpreting scripture correctly. The community is a gift to us that helps us discern the will of God. And fourthly, and finally here about the community, the community affirms the value of its members. We know that the church is often compared to a physical body in Scripture. Each part performs a valuable function, and each part has intrinsic value. But this idea of the value of each and every person was not common in the ancient Near East. In this upper room where the believers are gathered, we see something mentioned just in passing, but which in historical context is arresting. The women were fully present with the men as valued members of this community. So this community is already breaking precedence. The body of believers is elevating and acknowledging the value of women. That was not common in Jewish circles. The women did not have a voice, were not present as the men deliberated and made decisions. They weren't even allowed to worship with the men in the synagogue context. But Luke goes out of the way to show that this community is already different. It's something totally new. Sisters and brothers, we need the community. We need the body of Christ. Don't give up meeting together. Don't give up investing in each other. Don't go it alone. Each member is valuable and unique. Together, we form the, the body of Christ. We're stronger together, and the community helps us persevere in faith. And just a, a shameless plug, if you're not <laughs> plugged in, to an equip group or a home group or a small group, I would strongly encourage you to do that because it, it, it's, this is important. This is essential. Gathering together to worship the Lord on Sunday mornings or any other times that we do that, to hear his word, to be with one another as we worship him, essential. But the focus of this gathering is more vertical than it is horizontal. There is a horizontal aspect, but it's more vertical. In our equip groups, home groups, small groups, whatever they may be, the, the horizontal aspect is more emphasized. Obviously, the vertical aspect with the Lord is essential, but there is the more opportunity for relating and getting to know and encouraging. So um, just a, a plug there for getting involved in a smaller context beyond just Sunday morning. But now we move on to the third element of preparation that we see in the disciples, and it's a seeking of the Lord in His Word, Scripture. Peter takes his first steps of leadership, and as they begin to discern what actions they should take, it's all drawn out of Scripture. They're listening to God's voice as He spoke in the Old Testament. Now, again, some sub-points here. How did they view Scripture? First of all, Peter views it as timeless because he said, look, this was written long ago. 
but it's entirely applicable to our situation now. That truth remains. Scripture is living and active. It speaks today, even as it spoke thousands of years ago. Scripture, the Word of God, is timeless. Secondly, Peter understands it, he understands Scripture, as literal communication from God. So we often speak of Scripture as the Word of God. But the way Peter describes it here is even more literal. These verses from the Psalms came through David, but notice what Peter says about how they came and who spoke it. It was the Holy Spirit who spoke it long ago through David. So this tells us a number of things, but it also points out that it's not like the Holy Spirit was just in hiding until Pentecost, which we're going to talk about next Sunday. That he's not, you know, this hidden member of the Trinity. He was active. He was speaking. He's always been active in the work and mission of the Godhead. And one of those ways is by inspiring Scripture. In other words, being the voice of God through human authors to his people for all history. Scripture is the actual, real, literal communication of God by the Holy Spirit to his children. That's us, the church. And we ignore it or minimize it or treat it lightly, really to our own hurt. I mean, why would we do that? That's God's literal communication to us. This is the way the early disciples viewed it and understood it. And finally, Peter and the other believers also hold Scripture to be authoritative. They they understand that it's Scripture that is motivating them and directing them to take the steps that they're going to be taking. Scripture speaks into the life of the church today, and it has It is, I should say, the authority to determine action and decisions and attitudes. So the way that we express that today is to say that the Word of God, the Bible, Scripture, is our highest authority for faith and practice. Faith and practice, that means what we believe, that's faith, and then how we live, that's practice. So it's both theological and philosophical as well as practical. And ignorance of that authority is not a valid excuse for disobedience. Peter bases the call to action on the Scripture, not on his opinion. And friends, in preparing for and carrying out the mission and vision of God for his church, his word is essential and vital. Even as we must dedicate ourselves to prayer and to the community, we must dedicate ourselves also to his word. Now we arrive at the final element of preparation that we see in the disciples, and it's a laser focus on their purpose. So even though they were not yet engaging in this activity or this lifestyle of being a witness of Christ and his resurrection, that's still where their focus is. Now, how do we see that in this passage? First, before getting there, I want to just tell you something that happened in one of my Greek exegesis classes in seminary. We were studying this passage, 
It was an intensive summer course, so every day we had, I think, three or four hours of class, and then we had to prepare um, from the ne- for the next day from the Greek text a sermon outline of the passage that we had studied, and we all had to present that outline in class. It was extremely intimidating, especially because you have, you know, 20 people that are all presenting on the same passage. Now, when we were working on this particular passage, our, our professor, German man, scholar, theologian, he said, I'm not going to try to imitate his accent. I'm just going to say what he said. He paused and he looked around. We're sitting like in a big horseshoe and he looked around at all of us. He's like, listen to me. Listen to me. As you prepare to outline this passage for a sermon, know this. This passage is not about how Christians should make decisions. And he said, I've seen it all. I've seen all the outlines. You know, you pray and you come before the Lord and you say, Lord, you show us which way to go. And then you present the two options and then you make your choice or you roll the dice, except that's a part we don't do anymore now, right? But he's like, that's not what this passage is about. Third person to present the next morning starts off with, this passage is a template for how the Christian community should make decisions. I won't tell you how the aftermath of that went, but it was somewhat entertaining for everyone except one person in the class. Um, So, in other words, this passage is about something else, right? It's not about a guide for Christian decision-making. It simply relates how they did it. Because the thrust, the theme, the point, and the focus, and, and, and this, this passage is all building up to this point, right? Their prayer, their engagement together as community, Peter drawing out of Scripture what he's saying is directing the way it should go, and where does it get to? It gets to witness. That's what Jesus had told the disciples on the hillside right before he went back to heaven, that the Holy Spirit would come and empower them to be witnesses for Jesus and of his resurrection. So Peter and the others, they've gotten this point. What pushes them to choose someone to take the place of Judas Iscariot? Remember, they were 12, now they're 11. In verse 21, therefore, it is necessary. So it's not like it'd be a good idea, or maybe we should consider this. There was a sense of urgency. It's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time since the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Peter and the others are convinced that this is something they had to do to be prepared to carry out their purpose. The number of witnesses had to be completed, that that 12 witnesses for the 12 tribes of Israel, and they had to be ready. And quite frankly, Matthias, we never hear about him again. This is the only time he's talked about in Scripture. And in this case, it's not the person that's important, but the emphasis, witness, the purpose of the church. It must be complete. We must be ready. And what was the criteria? Someone who, like the other disciples, had been with Jesus from the time of his baptism by John the Baptist all the way through to his ascension. 
Why was this? So that this new community, the people of God, the church, would be prepared to fulfill its mission as soon as the Holy Spirit came. On your mark, get set. Are we ready? Are we prepared? Is that purpose, one of the primary purposes of the church, even even as Tim mentioned earlier, talking about his foundations of evangelism class, why, why didn't, you know, why don't we just disappear into heaven as soon as we come to Jesus? Well, there may be other reasons, but for certain, one of them is witness, a purpose that God's given, a purpose that, for which he empowers us in the church to tell, to go, to speak, to share. So while we as a local church are not in the same kind of preparatory stage as the disciples were in this account, the principles from this passage, they cross time and situations and they apply to any endeavor in which we might engage. And certainly, they apply to the ongoing mandate that we have to be witnesses of Jesus and his resurrection in this world. We must be committed to prayer. We must be committed to the community, both giving and receiving life from it. We must value, invest in, and study Scripture, for in it we see revealed to us the true communication of God through His Spirit. And these three together will provide a foundation for us to fulfill our purpose, the purpose of witnessing to the truth of Jesus Christ to a world that is dying and being ripped apart. We, we know this. We see this every day. We experience it. So while our focus is on the purpose to which Jesus has called us, we get there, right, through prayer, through the community, through the Word, and as we will see next week, through the Holy Spirit himself. As we continue to worship this Lord, our God, who has called us out of darkness into his light, who has redeemed and forgiven us, who has purified us, and who has established us as his ambassadors and his witness on earth. As we worship that Lord, and as we sing together in community, let's allow him to point out within us ways that we fall short in these areas. And I think, um, I recognize that in myself. But a lot, and when, when I recognize those things, that my, my reaction is oftentimes just like a push it aside or kind of think about something else. I don't really want to deal with it. But this time allow him to, to point it out, but then sit there with him in that, whether it's uh, something about prayer or community or his word or maybe about witness itself, just our reticence and our fear and our resistance and our laziness, and allow him, the Lord, to speak to us through his spirit, to bring forgiveness or restoration or strengthening And in worship, as we pray through what we're singing and in our hearts and our minds, express that frailty and that weakness to him um, and allow him to speak his joy and courage and filling uh, 
into us. So let's stand together. Um, as, as we say each week, the altars are open, and please, you, you know you are welcome to come and worship the Lord at the altar. If you would like someone to pray with you or over you, come to this side of the altar. If you would rather pray and worship alone, come to this side. Let's worship our Lord who has called us and empowered us to be his witnesses. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. One way you can connect further with First Friends Church is through our website, firstfriends.org. There you can learn about our equip groups as well as our upcoming events for all ages. On Sundays, we gather at 9 and 10.30 a.m. and we'd love to see you there. Have a great week.